podcast goals. It's something That's I've never been able to do. It's like... It's a significant improvement on anything I've ever been able to do in I my taught life. myself to whistle in like sixth grade, but I taught myself how to do it wrong. So like in order to whistle, I have to like wedge my tongue between like two te- like of my molars, basically on my left side of my mouth. Do I follow our page? <laughs> yeah. Did you post so. that? What? That story. Oh shit! Yeah, no, I haven't oh, yet. Because I was looking for it, but oh. I couldn't find it. There we go. Um, do you know what I realized after we posted the trailer? Is that this podcast is basically gonna chronicle me slowly killing this fern (laughs) yeah because we talked about it in our trailer and also in our first episode so it's only right we lead lead into it with uh the status uh, of my plan yeah oh it's uh i think though i can see some brown forming on my side that side doesn't get much sun maybe you should rotate it i can't i don't know um i don't know he's doing okay i think he's perked up a little bit I just watered him yesterday, but it's not looking good, Scoob. You know. I believe in it. I think I think he's doing okay. I think I need to get a grow light for him because this. Or we don't get sun in this building. I mean, this miniature little light bulb right here isn't <laughs> enough. No. You mean your? What is this? A tapestry? Yeah. Even though the tag right above the plant says sunshine joy, it's not enough to brighten up the room. Does it actually say sunshine joy? Made in India, 100% cotton. Ooh. I bought that tapestry so long ago, I don't even know. It's so large. But I I applaud your ingenuity in finding a use for it. Thank you. And what you've done. Great quality content for a podcast. I like it. Where people can really see this tapestry in their mind's eye. See... That reminds me of one of the videos I watched today that I didn't share with you about how you can never actually know if what you're experiencing is the same as other people are oh experiencing. God. Matt, is this the first time you've thought about this shit? No, I think about this constantly. I like I went through a phase in like early middle school where I thought about this shit a lot and then I just stopped because I'm like, this is... See, okay. I can't stop thinking about it. You can't it, stop thinking about it? We'll, we'll, how about we allot you a philosophy corner? Where you can just have your philosophy moment. We're not a philosophy podcast. That'd be pretty fun. Matt's philosophy If that's corner. what the viewers want. We'll put a poll on our Facebook also, page. Also, I got a comment. Did you? <laughs> you keep calling them viewers. And it's a podcast. Who said this? I won't Who name. made this comment? I won't name names. Listen. A mutual benefactor. <laughs> What right. should we call our listeners then? L- listeners, literally just listeners. No. Like they listen to the podcast, therefore they are listeners. See, let's come up with a a unique name for our fan base. I think we need to give it some time. Sprouts. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Was... I think the name for your your listener base is not really something you choose. And first step for getting a name for a listener base is uh, having a listener base. We don't, we don't, not, not yet. The first step in, I guess, addressing your audience mm-hmm. is having, having something to address audience. them by. No, it's having an audience, Matt. No, because they need something to be welcomed by. Oh, okay. 
Because like when you want to join a community, you want there to be a community first. <laughs> and in order for there to be a community, there has to be something to welcome that community in. I don't know. I think I want to... Am I talking too loud? You're talking very close to the mic. You I'm can, sorry. You I'm can just, take try, a, a I'm little just trying to do back. what I'm told. I know. I know. We're learning. It's fine. We'll, we'll get better at it. It's episode two. We'll get better about it. Also, hi. It's episode two. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for viewing. It's not... Stop it. All right. So today, what we really wanted to talk about was a fun little thing called imposter syndrome that I didn't realize you hadn't heard of until yesterday. Um, Matt nodded. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, uh, imposter syndrome is a very, very ubiquitous psychological phenomenon, I'd say. Where basically you're you're doing your you're living your life, you're doing your thing, but you feel like you're almost like a fraud, an imposter, one might say, and you feel like all the things you've achieved have been by chance or by accident, and you're like waiting for people to discover that you don't know shit and that you're not there intentionally, you know um. And this is very common in science. And Matt hadn't heard about it since yesterday. What I find interesting is that I was like looking this up earlier today. And I Googled it. Ooh. As you know. Scholarly. Yeah. And I clicked on, I think, the third link <laughs> after the advertisements. And in like the first paragraph, it said, well, if you've ever been to like a woman's presentation or like a woman's conference, blah, 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 blah. Then you've definitely heard about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. Um, I have a group chat that consists of essentially all the women in our year in the physics major here at Stony Brook, and we all talk about this all the time. <laughs> so that's interesting to me. Why it's exclusively there? Um, I actually I looked into some of the statistics and studies about imposter syndrome, and I'm not going to spout numbers because fuck if I can remember like a number right now because it's Friday and it's been a long week. But basically what they said is imposter syndrome is actually very, very ubiquitous in all communities. It crosses gender, it crosses race, it crosses socioeconomic status, all of these things. It's everywhere. It's kind of irregardless. Irregardless is not a word. Regardless of... uh, It's not a word? Irregardless is a double negative. Yeah, no, that's not a word. But... It's like my mom's pet peeve. And so every time I I'm gonna accidentally use it regardlessly. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Every time I use it, I feel like my soul is being crushed a little bit. Um No, so it's it's kind of completely ubiquitous, but it does show up slightly more, like statistically, according to all the studies that have been done on this, in marginalized and underrepresented groups. So you will see it, especially in science, you'll see it more in women in science because there's less of them in their underrepresented basically and in in minority groups as well um because it kind of plays into that thing of like am i here only because they wanted a woman in their program you know that's a really common thing to think and or like am i here only because i'm a first generation college student or am i here only because i'm not white like all these kinds of things is really easy to play into imposter syndrome so first thing we're going to do since matt has not heard of this is we're going to take a fun online quiz um, we're going to kind of zoom through it, but Matt, uh, I already have my results. I've taken this test before. All right. It's beautiful. All right. 
Um, but basically, you're going to get a score from 0 to 100. And I'm going to ask you... How many questions are there? 20 questions. Uh, each... Are they like multiple choice questions? Yes. Are there specific answers I have to uh, give? No. Every single question has the same five answers. So it's not at all true, rarely, okay. sometimes, yeah, often, yeah. or the very san- true. Standard like survey Yeah, standard thing. survey. Okay. So this is going to tell us how impostery you feel. First, what? before we start... What do you expect my score to be? Oh, take a guess? I don't know. We've talked about it a little bit in the past. Not by name, but like kind of feeling a little like we were not supposed to be here. So I don't think you'll score low. Guess my score. I would rather not. It it gives you a little dial. It's very cute. It gives you a dial that goes from green to red. Okay. Okay. Um, you can make a color guess if that's better. I'm going to guess you were in, it's out of 0 to 100. 0 to correct? 100. I'm going to guess you were 76. Okay. I'm not going to tell you until you get your results because I don't want to skew you. All right. All right. All right. I'm keeping a controlled study here all right. of Mitch Murphy. It's only fair. It's only right. fitting. Question number one. I have often succeeded on a test or task even though I was afraid that I would not do well before I undertook the task. All the time. Yeah. I feel like I can answer a lot of these for you, but I don't want to. Okay. Uh, I can give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. I can give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. So it's more so, am I projecting my confidence more so than I'm feeling it? Yeah. Sometimes, often, very true, rarely, not at all. Sometimes. Sometimes, okay. Uh, I avoid evaluations if possible, and I have a dread of others evaluating me. You see, that's entirely dependent on the evaluation. Mm. Because if it's something that I'm not so confident in my skill about, then mm. I'll be more apprehensive to be evaluated about it. But if it's something like I'm confident in doing, then... Then you don't have a problem with it? I would want to be evaluated because oh. that would make me feel even more confident about it. Oh, shit. It's so like, you'd say it's like, like an affirmation. Rarely? Or sometimes? Um, rarely. Let's go with rarely. All right. Uh, when people praise me for something I've accomplished, I'm afraid I won't be able to live up to their expectations of me in the future. Hmm. <laughs> Do see the way I look at it. I don't really feel like expectations come from praise. I feel like expectations come before praise. That's true. But let's say, like, you did something really well. Do you then have a, a fear that you won't be able to, like, do the same caliber of work in the future, basically? No, I feel like it inspires me to do it again. Okay, so would you say, what would, what would you say, not at all? I'll say rarely. Rarely. All right. I sometimes think I obtained my present position or gained my present success because I happened to be in the right place at the right time or knew the right people. See, I would say not at all. Really? Because I often feel like I end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. (laughs) And I'm the one who doesn't know the right people. Yeah. So I'm of the belief that I got to where I am because I deserved it and I earned it. So like despite the people you knew? Despite despite everything that may or may not have been in or against my favor. Mm, Okay. Question six. I'm afraid people important to me may find out that I'm not as capable as they think I am. Um, most of the time. All right. So often, 
or very true? Often. All right. I tend to remember the incidents in which I have not done my best more than those times I have done my best. 100% of the time. Yeah, very true. All right. Uh, I rarely do a project or task as well as I'd like to do it. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I feel or believe that my success in my life or my job has been the result of some kind of error. Rarely. At times I feel my success has been due to some kind of luck. Sometimes. I'm disappointed at times in my present accomplishments and think I should have accomplished much more. 100% of the time. All right. Uh, 13. Sometimes I'm afraid others will discover how much knowledge or ability I really lack. I'm kind of middle ground there. So sometimes? Yeah. When I've succeeded at something and received recognition for my accomplishments, I have doubts that I can keep repeating that success. Sometimes, yeah. Well, hmm. It's similar to that other one, but slightly different because it's less based on people's expectations and more on your performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are you still on that one? Yeah, I, I mean, it's all on one page. So you Go like a bump above that. Often? Yeah. All right. If I receive oh hi, if I receive a great deal of praise and recognition for something I've accomplished, I tend to discount the importance of what I've done. Hmm. See, that's just me generally um discounting the importance of things I do. Yeah. Well, so what you would say very true. Read the question again. If I receive a great deal of praise and recognition for something I've accomplished, I tend to discount the importance of what I've done. I would say very true. Yeah. And it's not so much about receiving the praise. It's just a matter of doing it. I, I downplay a lot of the things I do. Yeah. Um, I often compare my ability to those around me and think they may be more intelligent than I am. Often. I often worry about not ex- succeeding with a project or examination, even though others around me have considerable confidence that I will do well. All the time. <laughs> Any it's hard to avoid. <laughs> We both play into each other where each each of us is like, I'm going to do terrible. And then to the other, we're like, you're going to do great. But then to ourselves. <laughs> That's like the stereotype of like the top of the class student. Yeah. Really Everyone's is. annoyed that they're all down on themselves and fail. unconfident, but they're the ones getting the highest score. Yeah. All right. Uh, two more questions. If I'm going to receive a promotion or a uh, recognition of some time, some kind. Wait, if I'm going to receive a promotion or gain recognition of some kind, I hesitate to tell others until it is an accomplished fact. I'm like that, but with everything. Yeah. I don't like to announce things most of the time before they come to fruition. Yeah. Because it happens a lot where I'll be excited about something, like go tell everyone I know about it, and then it doesn't come true. Yeah. And then so then I have like to deal shit. with all the repercussions yeah. and all the questions that come with it. Mm-hmm. So would you say? I'd say very true. Very true. I feel bad and discouraged if I'm not the best or at least very special in situations that involve achievement. Often. All right, Matt, I have your results. You didn't fail. You got precisely a 65. This puts you... Now what does that mean? Okay, so it has a bunch of ranges. So it says 0 to 40% is none to mild imposterism, which is a fun word. Mm-hmm. Uh, 41 to 60, moderate. 61 to 80, significant. And 81 to 100, intense. And I got 61? You got a 65. 
So you're at the low end of significant. I'm slightly significant. So you guessed that I had gotten a 76. Right. I got a 90%. A 90? Yeah. Hmm. Tell me, do you do you remember like what you'd answer to these questions? I assume you'd know what you'd answer. I, I know what I'd answer. Every I can tell you straight out, every single woman was either often or very true, like the highest two. So which ones do you think we are the most different on? Uh, let me go back to the questions. It does say, so what it says here is, uh, imposter test was developed to help individuals de- determine whether or not they have imposter characteristics, and if so, to what extent they are suffering. <laughs> and it says the higher your That's score... That's a whole different question. I know. The higher your score, the more frequently and seriously imposter syndrome interferes with your life. So the questions that we differed on, let me pull it up. I the second one was I give the impression that I'm more competent than I really am. You said, do you remember what you said for that? You didn't say that much. I feel like I do that a lot. Like riddled with self-doubt at all times. But but yet you like, display the opposite. Yeah, I think especially when it comes to like us in an academic setting, I feel like I come off a lot more confident than I do. Okay. Generally. Um and anything having to do with people giving me praise, like I 10,000% downplay it. Um, and I like am very rarely satisfied with tasks that I've completed. Like there's always problems. Do you ever feel like your praise is not deserved? Yeah, constantly. Like I think this really comes up a lot in um, in research for me. I think in like in school, you have the benefit of like battling imposter syndrome in that you get grades that can tell you numerically how you're doing. And granted, my grades are not always as high as I'd like them to be, mm-hmm. um, but I know I'm not doing badly. And I can, like, I can see it on my, on my transcript that I'm doing well. Yeah, that's the nice thing about um, the whole academic process yeah. and the grading system is that um, for most things, and especially in like science there are right ways of doing things mm-hmm. and granted there are very many different ways of doing or like achieving the right answer but you know what that answer is yeah i'm trying to reach my teeth it's so far away Ugh. okay um yeah whereas in research like how do you gauge it's er- if everything doing is well? open ended yeah, and like I, I think something that's really common. Oops, sorry, I touched my mic. Uh, something that's really common that I was reading about in like in research in imposter syndrome is like uh, one of the questions on that test was like fearing evaluation, and I experienced this in that I'm very, very terrified to like ask, like especially a supervisor or an advisor, if I'm doing well. I'll never like check in and be like, "Am I doing as much work as you would like me to be doing?" I just go off of my own impression, which will always tell me I should be doing more. And so, like, when, especially, like, now, when my advisor tells me I'm doing well, I don't believe him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I've set up my own expectation that I should be doing a lot more work than I am. I don't know. And it begs the question of whether or not it brings, I don't know how to phrase this. Try. Because a lot of times when you're, like, evaluating something, and especially someone you might not be personally close with. Yeah. Like if you're doing it in a professional setting, um, you can either be polite with them or you can be upfront with them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will just be polite and be like, oh, yeah, you're doing good. Um, 
Like, you're doing things the way we want them to be done. Yeah. Just to appease you mm-hmm. and not, like, start a situation. Just because a lot of people don't like confrontation and they'll avoid it when they can. I think that's true. And especially in, in terms of research, like, it's very hard to get to to self-evaluate. And it's very hard to get a gauge because, it's like, with research, you're the only one, usually the only one doing what you're doing. And a lot of time, the expectation as a researcher is when you are presenting your work, you are the expert on your work. So who do you go to to get feedback on how you're doing? Um, Like, thankfully, like, especially in science, like, people will tell you what they're thinking on your research, like, from a factual like intellectual standpoint they'll tell you they'll poke holes in everything and they'll they'll find out they'll tell you if they find something wrong but with regards to especially like undergraduate research i feel like a lot of time it's just like oh you're doing great that's so cool and that's like you don't get enough feedback to kind of gauge where you are and then kind of going off that one thing i've noticed i mean I don't know anything else besides undergraduate research, mm-hmm. just because I'm still an undergraduate. Yeah. But um, in my experience, like the project I'm working on is solely mine. Mm-hmm. And like I work with my advisor and he guides me and kind of leads me along the way. But he's not like actively doing this with me. Mm-hmm. So really, I'm the only one. Well, I am really the only one working on this project. And so, as you said, I'm supposed to be the expert on this. Mm-hmm. And he's doing his own things. He's got countless other projects that he's working on. So he doesn't really also have the time to like sit down, check through all my work. He's kind of expecting me to be not only doing everything correctly, but doing everything on time, doing the things I need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So it's happened plenty of times where I've made a mistake like early on in some process, not realized it, and then carried through, gotten like results that aren't what they should be yeah presented them fully confident not knowing what error i made and he's like oh yeah these look great Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know like all the background and then a week later i'm like trying to take this and apply it to something else and i realize a mistake and i gotta go back yeah and then like i feel like an idiot being like hey (laughs) remember everything i told you yeah that's like wrong (laughs) well like my first research experience was like over two years long and the actual like impact of my work is basically non-existent uh i worked in the same lab through the semester and also over the summer full-time uh for two summers and what like five semesters something like that something crazy i think four four semesters and two full summers of, of working on this project and a winter and so I was just, like, constantly working on this project, uh, doing simulation work for a particle detector. Um, and my project at the beginning sounded so simple. And, like, my advisor presented it to me, and he's like, yeah, so this is, like, a pretty basic project, but I think you can really do it. So that's why we're putting an undergrad on this project. Like, I know that you're not a accelerator physicist. Um, so I don't expect you to get instant results, but we have the time because this isn't being built for many, many years for you to like make this a learning process and, and find out how to do it yourself. But 
that project was supposed to only take me like a summer. And by the time I left that lab two years later, I hadn't finished it. And I had to leave it like actually unfinished, which was probably one of the worst feelings (laughs) ever. Uh, To my credit, the project changed shape a lot over the course Mm -hmm. of, of the years I worked on it. And it, um, we encountered a lot of unexpected things that we needed to work on. So it started out as pretty much like a physics project and ended up being a lot more of a computer science project that I was not equipped to deal with because I'm, I don't know, a physicist and not a computer scientist. But yeah. And that's something I kind of talked about in my Eureka interview. Mm. Uh, tell the viewers at home <laughs> what Eureka is. Eureka is a program run by Stony Brook University that just sponsors and funds undergraduate students doing research we've both done it at least once right yeah Yeah. and um so basically i mentioned how um predominantly when you're doing a research topic um there are a lot of unknowns that are going on and you start with a simple question you try to answer that but the road to getting to where you want to go it might seem clear at first, but every time you try to take a step forward, there's something new that comes up and that opens up a whole new road. Yeah. A whole new set of questions. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a continuous branching. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I first started my project, I was I was using a completely different simulation framework than I was at the end. By the end of it, I'd written thousands and thousands of lines of code that I never expected to need to write and it just completely changed shape and I feel like that happens all the time where like you can't know how complicated something is until you've done it and so the challenge when you're given a project as an undergrad is that like you you take your professor's words for face value when in fact they also don't know Mm -hmm. like my project right now for my thesis uh, my advisor tells me I should be able to finish in a couple months and like because I haven't done the project and neither has he but he's more experienced than I am so I will take that at face value but if it takes any more than that I'm going to instantly feel like I'm doing it wrong or too slowly or I'm failing or I'm stupid um, so I think one of the things when I was doing all my my research about imposter syndrome over the past like two days, I, I, what was it? I think I watched like a, a Ted Ed video, but it was talking about how a big contributor to imposter syndrome is that people don't communicate when they're unsure of themselves because it's frowned upon in most professional situations. But um, a big factor in how we would combat something like imposter syndrome, which is actually everywhere, um, is by especially having authority figures speak out when they're unsure of things. Yeah. I've been lucky that I'm currently working with a a very great mentor, I think. Um and he's been like very honest with me, very helpful. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've come to him with a question that I have no idea like how to answer, let alone even like how to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And even he admits to me that sometimes he doesn't know. And that has like really made me more confident in myself 
and like being able to accept the fact that there are certain things that I'll have trouble with. Yeah. That I'm not like the greatest scientist to have ever lived. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's part of what I tried a lot to work on this summer is like as someone who scored a 90 on the imposter syndrome test, um, I have a lot of trouble asking questions. Uh, I'm kind of a very smile and nod kind of person. I think it's kind of ingrained in me just on the way I was socialized growing up and in the like being particularly being a woman in the world like you're kind of yeah nod and smile like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, all right absolutely yes that makes perfect sense um but I have a lot of trouble even if I have a question I will sit there and write it out until either I figure it out myself or someone else asks uh, which has mostly been okay in classes because usually someone else asks and it's always a dude. But um, I tried, I made a conscious effort this summer to get better at asking questions of people like who's like who I respect, especially like professors and advisors and mentors um, and just friends. Like I just, you know what I did? I part of my strategy for this was when I had like a question that I knew one of my friends like could answer I would ask them instead of googling it like I was in Texas this whole summer and I went to the zoo and I was with my brother and we just realized we didn't realize if uh if birds had eyelids or not <laughs> And so I could have really quickly Googled that question and gotten an answer immediately. But instead, I knew that one of my lovely friends who studies like animals and zoology would know this answer off the top of their head. So I asked them instead and like sure, it took like a bit longer because I had to wait till they were free. But like it helps me get better at asking people questions instead of just finding it out by myself. And it helps the person I'm asking the question because then they get that kind of sense of accomplishment that they know something that like one of their friends wanted to know. That kind of makes me reflect on something that might not be a very good quality of me. Um, and that I think that whole situation kind of lends itself to like the technology we have nowadays mm. and the plethora and ease of access of information that we have through the internet and through Google mm -hmm. is that I oftentimes like, if I have a question, something that could be easily answered, like just by looking it up and like I'll get in all the information about it that I ever need. Like if I have that sort of question and I elect to ask someone about it as opposed to just figuring it out myself, mm -hmm. I almost feel like I'm either like annoying them. Wasting their time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's never a waste of time. It really isn't. Like if someone asks me a question that I know the answer to, it makes me so happy. Because, like, I can help someone. And, like, I feel like as a physicist, like, we don't get that opportunity mm -hmm. that much. To, like, have someone genuinely ask you a question that they need the answer to. And then so many times someone will ask me one of those questions and I'll answer, like, super confidently. Mm -hmm. Super happy that I finally get to display my knowledge. But then I'll, like, second guess myself and have to immediately Google yeah. it, look it up to, like, make sure that I gave them the right answer. Yeah, and I think one of the, the biggest ways that imposter syndrome in particular interferes with the lives of like researchers and scientists is one of its like biggest effects is that it will make you question yourself before voicing your opinion. 
So you could have the greatest idea in the world, like you could have the next breakthrough in quantum mechanics, and you won't say it because you're like, oh, I don't know if that's right, and like I'm probably wrong because I'm always wrong, and I like I I'm not as smart as these people, so they would have found out first, and so it's definitely not a real thing. Mm-hmm. But that's often not the case. And then kind of bring back to something we said earlier. You'll notice that like always in the first or second class of the semester the teacher's looking around for any questions and they go, well, if you have a question, there's a good chance that five other people in the class will have that same question. And I think to myself, like, I, I try to put myself or at least inspire myself to be above the people around me just to like motivate myself, motivate myself to be a better, whatever I'm trying to be. And while yes, I might have this question and it would be beneficial to the class to ask this question. Yeah. Like I'm not saying that's false. But I like think to myself How do I phrase this? You're gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> I don't have to I cut apologize. it. I apologize. I wanna leave in the struggle, man. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like I think to myself, damn, am I really at the level of these other people? Oh, like this is something really? I should be understanding mm. not that like i'm downplaying other people around me yeah but i i, I like i kind of get what you mean like i think to myself that it's something that i should understand i shouldn't need to ask this question mm. and like rather than asking the question to improve myself i think about how i could improve myself to not need to ask ask this question that's actually really fascinating because i feel like i have the same problem but from a different standpoint like there are two different kinds of questions i have sitting in like a a physics course and that will be either like the oh i think there's a math error on the board and i've noticed it but like literally what i'll do instead of raising my hand and correcting the professor because that just feels wrong to me i'll i'll correct it in my notes that i'm taking of the lecture but i will not correct the lecture Oh, i do that all the time yeah and it kind of annoys me when people like go out of the way to correct the professor Mm. Because, yeah, it might be like a simple math error, mm-hmm. but usually if you know what's going on, like, as you, you said, you'll you be know. able to correct it for yeah. yourself. But like, And, like, they might be experts on the subject, but, yeah, some people make typos, some people oh make God, mistakes. Yeah, all the time, constantly. But, like, you were saying how uh, when you have a question, you don't want to, like, think that you're, like, on the level, kind of, of the people around you, whereas I have the same problem where I don't want to ask a question I have, but I feel like it's because everyone around me already knows. And if I ask the question, then I'm like embarrassing myself and like kind of, it's like that kind of token imposter syndrome thing where I'm like, I'm revealing the fact that I'm a fraud and shouldn't actually be here. And I think part of the reason that imposter syndrome is such a big deal, especially for like women in science and minority groups and just generally underrepresented peoples, is like you're already trying so hard to make a place for yourself where like you've been told you don't belong. That like the last thing you want to do is like make that place for yourself even smaller by like kind of embarrassing yourself or being wrong or saying something not quite right or sounding stupid or anything. They always say that there aren't any stupid questions, but that never feels true when you're the one asking the question. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of times, a lot of things that are found out through science come about accidentally. Yeah. Or through these random 
stupid questions. Mm -hmm. But like in the moment when you're surrounded by people who you would assume know what's going on, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Right now I'm also, uh, I have a new job that part of my job is sitting in uh, physics, like theoretical physics and math lectures and recording them. And these are lectures at the level of people who have already gotten PhDs and are making really big names for themselves in in physics and math. And so I have to sit in the back of those lectures and listen to them talk about stuff that I like. Because I'm a physics major, I can kind of follow in that I know the topic of the lecture. And that's about it. And I feel so lost and like have no idea what's going on. But I think one of the things that's been inspiring to a point has been like the ease of discussion at these talks like it's a talk given by a a presenter who has an abstract and a plan for the whole talk but they so often become more discussion than talk because i think one of the one of the nice things about physics is that it's not a very guarded research field like in in medicine i feel like particularly like people tend to kind of hide their research almost so that they can get published first because it's very driven by the the publication industry and like naming things after yourself. Physics, I don't think is really like that. Whereas it's, it's very communicative and collaborative by nature. So no one's afraid to ask questions in those rooms except me. <laughs> can I go off topic a little bit here and sure. ask you a question? What? Because I remember, I think it was last episode, we kind of talked about how when we were kids, before we ever got like a formal education, we'd like seek out things about physics and mm-hmm. like even try to read physics publications and mm-hmm. not really understand what was going on. Like, do you ever feel that way at these lectures? What that I'm like in that over you did my head. Back then? Yeah, it, honestly, it kind of has the same effect, which is is interesting to be experiencing it now that I'm significantly more educated than I was in, say, middle school. Uh, where I'm sitting in a lecture full of things that I don't at all. It's like a new language. It's sitting. It's like sitting in Paris when you don't speak French. You want to learn French. Like mm-hmm. it's. I want to learn about like quantum field theory and chromodynamics and all these crazy things I never really thought I was interested in because I'm surrounded by it now. Yeah, and it's crazy to look back to like sitting where you are now and the things you do know now looking back to where you were like five, 10 years ago. Um, and at that point in your life, the things you aspired for and the things you wanted mm-hmm. to eventually learn. And if you think about it, what you know now and the experiences you have now are probably at a much higher level and have gone far beyond anything you've ever expected at that point of your life. Mm-hmm. But yet, despite acknowledging the fact that you've not only accomplish everything that you ever expected to accomplish but probably went far past that you still look forward to the future with that same mindset as you did back then but yet you don't take solace in the fact that you've done it before you've gone past your own expectations before yeah it's so easy to like apply that in the past and find peace in it but yet it's almost impossible to like look at the future through that lens Mm. And then kind of ease your anxieties about it. Yeah, I think it's it's weird 
how easy it is to ignore everything you've done. <laughs> it's really, really easy. And, like, when you think about it, like, the fact that I know anything about quantum mechanics is crazy. That's so weird. Why do I know that? Like, because I've worked at it. And I've worked mm -hmm. really hard at it. And, like, I can say that. And it's really easy to say that and sound like I'm, like, oh, I'm so confident in myself and my achievements. But, like, the way you internalize it is a completely different rodeo. Like, I can say, yes, like, I've I've done research for, for many, many years. I've worked on, like, this accelerator project and that nuclear theory project. And I've, you know, gotten A's in almost all my classes and all this stuff. And it sounds like I'm very accomplished, but, the, like, I don't internalize it the same way as, I think, like, someone who... I guess doesn't like struggle from imposter syndrome would where I just feel like, Oh, that's not enough. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier about how doing one thing in research opened up questions about five other things. Yeah. And each of those opens up five other questions about other things. Yeah. And that kind of makes me scared to take relativity next semester <laughs> because I, I think that class touches on general relativity. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like general relativity has always been the thing for me. Like as a kid growing up and like learning more about science, it's always been that like really high level thing that someday maybe I'll come close to like learning and understanding. Yeah. But now that I'm on the precipice of like taking a class on it and actually being formally taught the theory as opposed mm -hmm. to just trying to learn it through Wikipedia articles, mm -hmm. like that's almost scary to me because I have no idea what's going to come after that. Yeah, you'll find a new thing. Whether or not like I'll even be able to do it. Yeah, that's something that really scared me when we took quantum mechanics, like the first quantum mechanics, because I remember in like probably sixth grade, some kind of like book or paper I'd printed out that had Dirac notation in it. For for those who aren't physicists, Dirac notation is very specific to quantum mechanics and does not make sense when you look at it if you don't know what it is. It has the wonderful property where... And I'm not going to get too technical. Yeah, we'll try and keep it but general. There's something called a bra, which has like <laughs> an angle bracket on the left side. Mm -hmm. And then there's something called the ket that has the angle bracket on the right side. Yeah. And what I my favorite thing about quantum mechanics is that when you put them together, you put a bra and a ket together. It has, you know, the left angle bracket and the right angle bracket. And if you combine the words bra and ket, you get a bracket. Yeah, that's why it's called bracket notation. I know, and I love it. It is kind of beautiful. Um, but it's very weird when you first learn it. I mean, when you first see it, especially if you see it when I saw it, when I had no formal physics education, because it represents so many things at once. Like, if you have a ket in quantum mechanics, it is just a state a quantum state it can mean so many different things and it holds so much information inside of it but you get none of that without like many months of formal education like we're still just kind of figuring it out i feel like our first semester of quantum mechanics we didn't really know how to use it properly it's kind of like staring at a book before you know how to read yeah like it's all there and you're looking at it but until you sit down and learn through it like it unlocks so much yeah there's so much information packed into so little space 
And so when I was a kid, I would I would see Dirac notation and quantum mechanics, like in everything I was fascinated about. Because I'm I'm a I'm a, a little physicist. I like the little things, which means quantum mechanics is kind of my domain. Matt, relativity makes sense for you to be interested in because you're an astronomer and it's a lot more relevant to you. Though, also relevant to me because I do accelerator physics, so everything is going quite fast. So. Oh, I should take that class too. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Okay. How do you feel or how does it make you feel? Like what are the things that come to your mind when there's someone much younger than you in your class? I used to be that kid. Did you? Yeah. How's that? Because uh, in high school, I was the, the high school student in a college classroom because uh, I taught myself, I homeschooled myself, calculus one and two. And I homeschooled myself introductory physics so that my, when was that? My junior year of high school or my senior year? I can't remember. I went to like the local university and I took multivariable calculus. I took solar system astronomy and I took um, a classical mechanics course that looking back was like harder than our first year physics course. Um, and I was that kid. I was that kid sitting in the classroom that everyone w found out. Oh, I also took computer science. I took Python. Um, <laughs> I'm an overachiever, I know. But Props to you for learning Python, though. I know. Python's been actually... Shameless plug for Python. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> ding. There's our ding. Um, Python, if anyone is out there that does not yet know how to code in Python... Learn Python. Learn Python. If it there's anyone out there that doesn't know how to code... Learn Python. Learn Python. It's beautiful. Anywho, I took all those classes as probably, what, a 16-year-old, 17-year-old? And I was that kid sitting in the class, and it was so funny. When I was taking my mechanics course, we had a lab component, because of course we did. And my lab partner for that class just so happened to always end up being um, this girl, Megan, who was so nice. I guess she's more of a woman. Because she was like a like a kind of alternative student, you know? So she was, I was, I think when I took that class, like, had just turned 17. And she was about to turn 27. And because she had gone and served in the army before she had come back to school. And so we were a full 10 years apart, both taking the same mechanics course. And I was helping her on her lab reports every week. And... So I like I was that kid, but now that I'm older and I see like young people kind of doing amazing things that I couldn't do when I was their age, like I just try and keep the mindset that like you know, I've been there. I've been in the situation where I really feel like almost that pressure to kind of excel way beyond your expectation for your age. And you know, it's kind of kind of a meaningless thing. And I think in physics, there is, like, a lot of pressure to do things soon while you're young because it is a, a career that takes a very long time to get into. Um, but I try really hard not to kind of feel inadequate when someone younger than me knows more than me because so I've been a, there. You have a very unique perspective on that, though. Yeah. Which... What about you? See, I was never in that position. Mm. And, like, yeah, I was always in the advanced classes and all the accelerated things, like, all throughout high school mm -hmm. but i was never in the position where i was some 
high school kid in a class of people much older than me or like at a level higher than me. And I don't know if that was just because I wasn't like at the right. Hmm. I don't know if it was just because I wasn't like at the level of being able to do that or if it was just because that's not something that like my school ever did. It it could like it's so many different factors go into why someone is where they are. Yeah. But like I remember a couple of years ago in my Calc 4 class we had a group of two high school kids that would come in at like our 6:30 class after they'd gotten out of high school and then they'd have to get driven back by their parents. Mm-hmm. Like it made me feel like crap. Because here I am struggling with something. And they were always, like, the kids who were asking all the questions. Yeah. Um, always the ones, like, talking in class and having discussions with the professor. Mm-hmm. And it really made me, like, feel behind. Yeah. I think something over the years that I've tried really hard to kind of uh, come to terms with or make peace with is that everyone has, like, their little special thing you know that like they're just gonna be good at and everyone's different like some people's are in a very different reference frame than others so you just you meet so many different people who have so many different special things about them that like I I know this is like super hypocritical to talk about because I like got a 90 on the imposter syndrome test but like you can't compare yourself to them and like because i've been in that position before and i've had i've had the high school student in my math class here at stony brook and i've been like how are you here already even though i was there um and it's just like it's just almost it's almost pointless because that's something they're they're living a completely different universe than you are and it's hard a lot of times because that's usually something that they devote all their time to doing yeah And I have this problem often, and I think you might also, where, like, I end up finding a lot of different hobbies and a lot of different things that I come to have an interest in. And usually it'll, like, bounce from one thing to another to another, Mm -hmm. where I'll, like, be super interested in one thing for a couple weeks, like, devote all my time to trying to learn it and trying to, like, be really good at it. Mm -hmm. And then I know I'll move on to something else eventually. Yeah. But during that time... I'll like look at people who have devoted their entire lives to doing it and um, like for better or worse, compare myself to them. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely do the same thing. I, I go into hobby holes very, very easily where I'll just get completely engrossed in some weird niche thing. Um, and I'll want to excel at it immediately because like I, I, have been like kind of very very gifted in the past at like especially in school because I am like someone who's excelled in academics so I've had the the experience of generally being like pretty good at most of the new things I try yeah and I think that's dangerous it is very because dangerous. going back to one or two of those questions on the test mm-hmm. like getting praise for something I forget what the questions were yeah word for word but like matter. getting praise for something makes you either like anxious or not confident in like being able to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times um, when I like pick up a new hobby or a new interest, like, yeah, it'll be something that when the first time I try it, it's like kind of good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it's something that 
the people around me aren't good at so they think it's good yeah like i remember a couple years ago i got into painting mm-hmm. and like i painted a painting it was like fine i guess <laughs> but everyone around me liked it and i got all kinds of praise for it yeah and like i thought to myself like hmm if i did really good my first time trying this like i kind of set an expectation for myself to not only like do the same quality level mm-hmm. as my first time but keep improving on it yeah whereas the next time i tried to paint something it came out looking like crap <laughs> yeah i think i do the same thing where like if i'm if i am really good at something but then i i very quickly plateau or i or I dip back down and i'm not that good at it anymore on the one hand i always like get super frustrated because i'm like hey i should be good at this but also I've tried so many things in the past and I've I've chosen to go go into physics which is something that like from the beginning I was not that good at. And so like sometimes I even enjoy the things that I'm I end up kind of being worse at a little bit more because they have a little bit more of, of kind of a challenge to it me. You that ambition. Yeah, it gives it gives you motivation to try and improve. But also going back a little bit I think one of the things that really helped me in the past in undergrad when I fall into that hole of of comparing myself to everyone else in the class I'm like oh you're not you know you got an A minus in this course when you really should have gotten an A because you I know you like I can do it but I just like I let myself down is I remind myself that either I have other commitments or that, like, usually what I do is I remind myself that I have jobs. And that's really helped me uh, deal with when I'm feeling like I'm not living up to my own expectations of myself. Or if I'm, like, just worse than everyone else. Is that I, I know I'm saying I'm worse than everyone else on an A-, minus, but that's, like, how it gets you. It's, like, I know I can get an A because I have gotten A's in the past. So, like, I got a B last semester and it actually haunts me. And... It was my first B of undergrad. I, I just like didn't cope with it very well. And it really hit my self-confidence a lot. And so I spent so much time like kind of forcing myself to think about like, hey, yes, you got to be in this class, but you got to be in that class while taking three other upper division physics courses, one of which was a pretty hefty lab doing research as your job for money to pay your groceries because you don't get money from home. And, like, also having a music minor and somewhat maintaining a social life. Like, you did okay. Yeah, because when you're just thinking about that class, and especially the first time you see that grade, you don't look at things through the perspective of your everyday life and you bouncing from responsibility to responsibility to responsibility while still trying to maintain that grade. All you think about is that grade and that class and everything you've done in that class without like considering all the external impacts that your life has had on your performance there. Yeah. I actually, I'm going to go on a tangent just for a second. It's a, it's a a light tangent, but it doesn't even have to do with science. Um, I want to do a whole episode or if not several episodes uh, in the future about mental health and science, because I think it's really interesting. And I, I for one, have a lot to say, Um, but I had a class today um, that's a seminar course on American Gods by Neil Gaiman. And I am not finished with the book, but I am quite enjoying it so far. 
but the main character is kind of um, a very muted personality. Um, and so we had our whole discussion today uh, with people saying that they thought he was muted because he was a blank slate character for you to project yourself onto in the book. But I had read this whole book built on my assumption that he was dissociating the whole book. Because I am someone who has like gone through stages of my life where like something bad has happened and I have been like in a dissociative state for days, if not weeks, if not months. So were you projecting that experience that you've had in your past onto that character? Absolutely. And I think it kind of plays back into it. This is me trying to pull my tangent back into the conversation. But um, we like people were discussing it and it, it didn't occur to me that not everyone would immediately see that. And it's, it could also not be true. It could not be like the author's intent for that character. But that's just instantly how I recognized it. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's dissociating. I've been there. I can relate to this character. And people were talking for like 20, 30 minutes about how they didn't find him a relatable character on his own because like, uh, I don't want to spoil the book, but it's in like the first 10 pages. But like his wife died and he was just numb about it. He didn't like sob or scream or anything. And to me, that made perfect sense. I was like, yeah, he's dissociating. Like, that's a horrible thing that's happened. And he can't cope with it. So he just shut down. Like, I've been there. I've done that. Um, and it actually made him like a character I liked even more, but other people who haven't had like similar experiences to me interpret the character in an entirely different way. And I think this ties back (laughs) into our discussion a little bit in that, like when you are viewing, especially other people and your own experiences, like it's really hard to break from your own experience and mindset about how you function within the world and how like the world functions apart from you um so in regards to like physics it's it's almost a weird hypocritical situation where if someone's excelling i assume they're excelling because they are great but if i am excelling i assume i'm excelling because i worked my ass off does that make sense i don't know that makes perfect sense and i think everyone does that in their own way like we downplay the how hard we work and how much we struggle yeah and I can kind of relate to that and um, because when I used to play football, mm-hmm. um, there was always like the conflict between someone being talented at the sport and someone who works really hard at the sport. Yeah. And there was always that question of like, which was better. Mm-hmm. And like everyone would agree that hard work in the end, in the long term is what yeah would come out on top. But like I could see that a lot and like the classes that I take and the people taking the class around me like I always question whether or not like there's someone like me who has to work hard to like accomplish something Mm -hmm. and not that I'm not like talented at what I do Mm. but like I put a lot of emphasis on working hard and I have to think about whether or not they're like that or if they're just someone who's just naturally gifted naturally intelligent and I think the funny thing is I often, like, read you that way. Like, I'm like, oh, Matt's just so, like, intelligent about physics. Like, he's got such a mind for it that he just, like, he gets it. Like, when I need to ask you for help on homework, I'm like, oh, Matt gets it. Like, he's such, like, an icon in physics. And I I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, but I feel like we both think that about each other a little bit at times. I was about to say that <laughs> before, like, before I really knew you, mm-hmm. 
especially in like our freshman year of physics. That's how I viewed you. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, when I was in high school, I was that kind of person that like didn't actually work that hard. I like I because your classes are easier in a lot of ways. So like I did not work that hard. I did kind of like minimum effort to do well. And I had like a self-proclaimed like I, I proclaimed her a nemesis in high school and who who worked her ass off to get where she was. And she I'm pretty sure she was like our salutatorian or valedictorian or something. And she worked her ass off and I you could tell she was working her ass off. And I didn't respect her for it when I was like in that situation because she was doing better than me. And I'm like, yeah, she's doing better than me, but she's working her ass off and I just get it because I'm great. <laughs> yeah. But now that I'm in in college, first off, I respect the hell out of her for like actually working her ass off. And I know if I had done as much work as she she had, I would probably be in like a much better situation than I am today. Not that I'm not in a great situation, but and now I'm the person who works their ass off. And I know I'm better for it, obviously. But I wish I had started when she had yeah, I feel like freshman year of college was really a wake-up call to that. Mm. Because, like, yeah, classes in high school were generally easier. Are we going a little long here? It's an hour. I'm impressed yeah. with us. But, like, I would always succeed yeah. elementary school, middle school, high school. Yeah. And it put me in the mindset that, hey, I'm just someone who's, like, gifted at this and yeah. I don't have to work as hard. So then when I came to college and I was surrounded by people who are at the same level of mm -hmm. intelligence that I am, like... And I was still in the mindset that, hey, I get this stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm fine. And then I got my first bad grade. Mm -hmm. And I looked around at all these people who were, like, asking good questions and, like, actually answering the professor's questions and understanding what was going on. And I had no clue. Like, it really put me down into a hole. Yeah. And, like, I had to reassess my whole understanding of my level of intelligence and mm -hmm. like my level of understanding and i had to like rework my entire um like process of studying mm -hmm. my i had to like rework my entire mindset yeah of how i approach my academic life yeah and i i actually have been thinking about this a lot recently because first off uh we're both studying for the physics gre right now and if anything in the universe was designed to destroy your confidence in yourself and your knowledge of physics, it's the physics GRE. And so in general, I've been feeling pretty low, low confidence in myself as a, as a physicist. And I, I went to my first meeting with my, with my advisor of the semester uh, last week, and he was talking to me about how how happy he is that he has uh, a new class this semester that's like very open to raising their hands and answering and asking questions and first off shout out to him because he totally like emphasized the fact that he was happy about how many women were raising their hands in his class because that's something that really doesn't happen that often and didn't happen when we took the exact same class um but he was he was talking to me about this and he was so excited and i'm like he's talking about it and he's like well your year was really great but like, I could tell you guys were really hesitant to answer questions. And he looks at me and he's like, Audrey, I could tell you knew the answer to almost every single one of my questions that I asked. And you rarely raised your hand to answer. And I do do that. Like, I'll, I'll know the answer. But at the same time, as soon as he told that to me, I'm like, did I know, though? Or does he just think that I know? And like, it, it plays back into that feeling of wearing a mask of confidence. 
that yeah, and then the expectations that people around you set for you yeah because you because you display yourself that way so i think uh in in my research about how to combat imposter syndrome one of the biggest things was first off having like authority figures be more open about their insecurities but also being open with each other and with everyone about like when you're having a hard time understanding so- something or like generally when you're just feeling down about your ability to complete a task or or accomplish something that you've set out to do. So that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Like I said earlier, as the professors always say, if you have a question, there's a good chance that everyone around you has that question. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same where if you're feeling kind of insecure about something and you kind of have some self-doubt about an aspect of yourself, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that the people around you kind of have the same thing going on. Yeah. And especially because we're in that kind of transitional period where we need to reflect on our undergraduate career in order to prepare for graduate school. Like, it's so easy to knock yourself down in so many ways. And I know for a fact that, like, every single one of us that is getting ready for the same kind of thing is is doing that to ourselves, but not to one another. Like, I can look at you and I'd be like, Matt, you're definitely getting into graduate school. Like, obviously, like, you're fantastic. Like, you have stellar grades, you have good research, and, like, you know what you're doing. I'm like 10,000% confident that you're going to get into a great program for your PhD. And I could look at you and I say, hey, you've done research for a long time. You've gotten (laughs) great grades alongside me. You've had the luxury of going to an REU. You're going to be doing conferences. You have all these great experiences that grad schools love in an applicant. And I could say the same about you. Yeah, but then like to ourselves, it's not at all. What? I hit the mic. You hit the mic? I don't know if it did anything. How dare you? Failure. No, but like it's it's so easy to to be confident in each other, but so impossible to be confident in yourself when you're like forced to kind of like uh, Mm self-assess in that way, especially when like you're figuring out where to apply and like what's a reach school for me because I feel like garbage. So every school is a reach school. Yeah. All this hot mess. And then if you look at all the other people applying around you, like you could have done or accomplished the same thing that they did. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, yours feels at a lower level than theirs. I noticed that a lot when I went, this is going to be a long episode. This is a beefy topic. We could wrap it up soon. Yeah. But I want to mention one more thing. Go ahead. If not several more things. Go ahead. Uh, So as I mentioned before, I spent the summer in Texas doing an REU program. And what that is is like uh undergraduate students from all over the country different institutions um all in one program at a new institution uh doing research and it's all funded by the national science foundation and and the university so i was in texas this whole summer and it was alarming how often i'd be talking to one of my one of my i guess office mates colleagues um and we just non-stop compare each other to like compare ourselves to each other and and our education to one another because we haven't had the same classes and we haven't had the same good or bad professors so like i like i had already taken quantum mechanics and other people hadn't and then they're putting themselves down because they hadn't and then they'd already done like they'd already published something as like a as an author on a paper and i hadn't and so i felt like a failure and we just like in the end though like 
all, that's all we could do was compare ourselves to each other. And, it, and it, I think this is something that happens all over the place. Like I, I, in my, in my like 30 minutes of research for this episode, um, saw some reports that like, it doesn't matter what level you are in a field. It doesn't matter what field you're in. Like imposter syndrome happens everywhere. It can happen in a McDonald's. You can still feel inferior not I'm not I don't want to diss McDonald's but like hey I'm dissing McDonald's um but it's not just in academia it's not just in science it's not just among women it's it's literally everywhere because it's kind of human nature in a lot of ways to compare yourself to one another cuz how else do you gauge how you're doing and if you don't compare yourself to others are you just putting yourself down for no reason or do you think you're better than you are all these things but there are ways that Having like feelings of being an imposter can really interfere with your life. It can it can make you not raise your hand. It can make you not voice your opinion when you could really be contributing something to the room. So I guess my point of my little monologue here is that if you feel like you're a bit of a fraud in your own field and that you don't deserve to be there, you're wrong. <laughs> But we're all wrong and we're all feeling the same thing. Something like 70% of people total that have been studied feel imposter syndrome. That's over half. That's crazy. That's well over half. Yeah, which means there's a 70% chance that that person that you're idolizing thinking, oh my god, they just get it. They're so fantastic. I could never be like that, is feeling the same thing about you. So that's kind of our message today. Any closing thoughts, Matt? I think I've said everything I want to say. Ooh. All right. So, uh, any any podcast notes other than like content notes? Um, other than the fact that I'm now barred from saying viewers, <laughs> we've still said it a few times. I feel like in this podcast, I may have. I'm not sure. I know I did once, and then I I said it, and I was like, oh shit, I did it. Um, have you I've... mentioned that we have social media pages up now? Oh. Hi, we have social media pages up now. So you can find us on Facebook as Sprouting in STEM, and you can find us on Instagram as sprouting.in.stem, right? And I'm hoping our Instagram would stay pretty active. We'll, we'll let you know what you, we're doing. We just posted a story, believe it or not, so oh go check God. that go out. Go check it out in the next 24, <laughs> 24 hours. hours. Um, but we'll also hopefully like taking questions and yeah and we and, could do polls eventually yeah so i know you and i always chat in the class earlier today about what we're going to talk about yeah so it'd be kind of fun to like have some audience input yeah so if there's ever anything you want us to talk about or want to hear a little more about it can be an actual like science question i, th I think hopefully eventually we can have an episode where we'll actually answer some physics questions have some q a's q a's i think um, that'd be really fun i think it would be really fun i also um, we're hoping to have guests somewhat soon. We're going to have to adjust our, our mic setup in order to make that happen. But be patient, Grasshopper. We will have guests. Little sprouts. Little little sprouts. We'll grow along with you. <laughs> I, I can't let us close on that. <laughs> I can't. It's, it doesn't sit right. Your watering can will come soon. <laughs> what does that mean? Anyways... <laughs> Thanks for listening and or viewing. Listening. Only well, exclusively listening. Well, you ever like sit there and watch your Spotify stream? You know how like sometimes they have the behind the lyrics pages? 
that go along with the song. So if you're sitting on Spotify just staring at the little progress bar, progress. Anyways, <laughs> thank you for listening. Oh, wait, I had a note. Oh, shit. I'm oh, sorry. Boy. I interrupted your nice closure. But P.S. P.S. I know you're already listening to the podcast if you're hearing this, but we are on most platforms now. So if you think we're only on Anchor because we posted that on Facebook first and you're listening to this on Anchor, heads up, we're also on other things. So we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts is the new one, which is exciting for all you poor, poor Apple children. What's out that there. one that Beyonce runs? What? Like Wave or something? We're not She has her own streaming platform. Um, but we also just have an RSS feed as well. So you, you can listen to us in a plethora of ways. Um, Whether or not you want to do them all at the same time, that's up to you. <laughs> Give us more plays, please. Um, yeah, so, so come join us on social media. We'll be trying to keep it as interactive as possible. Um, and don't don't follow in our footsteps. If you have a question, ask it. Um because we're, we're open to anything you have Our to DMs say. are open. Our DMs are open. We'll just put that out there now. All right. So thanks for listening. Thanks and... for watching. Oh, my God. Like, share, subscribe. <laughs> we'll see Leave you next. Leave a comment down below. Wait. <laughs> no. We should start a YouTube channel. Wait, we... Then we need a camera. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But regardless of future plans, for now, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next Sunday. We'll hear you? God damn it. <laughs> That's something we'll work on. <laughs> we'll work on an actual ending to the podcast next week. Bye.